0: Welcome everybody. Are you ready and prepared to be brave? Are you ready? (laughs) Some of you are like, I have no idea. Brave for what? Uh, We are in this series talking about how to be brave. It's very simple. We locked on to the truth, whether you own it or not, is that you want to be brave. You want in your heart, in your mind, you want to be a brave person. There are conversations that you're not having. (laughs) <laughs> that you need to have, but you're not really brave enough to have them. Uh, those of you who are parenting are craving a bravery, especially if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, you're like, Where did, where'd the bravery go? I need some of that. Uh, in fact, I got to speak at the middle school retreat going on right now. This past week, I got to speak at it, and and I was like, give me one of those sweatshirts. So that's how that works. But I got, I got a sweatshirt, and I'm sitting there watching these middle schoolers all gather together. I was there at the beginning, so the smell was still okay. Uh, But for those of you who, by the way, who who are parents or grandparents or or guardians of some sort of of a middle schooler at the middle school retreat, um, they're, they're alive and well, all accounted for. No one has escaped, okay? So you can, okay, okay. But everything's going well. But we even talked with the middle schoolers about how to be brave. Because I believe it's, as humans, we want to be able to go through a storm and have actually weathered that storm. We wanna have the conversations we're supposed to have. When it's time to pop the question, we wanna have the guts to pop the question. When we wanna to talk to someone and, and broach up maybe a tough subject or if you're at work and you need to have a tough conversation or make a, a big deal or, or you're at school and you've got this tough test or paper or project, you and I wanna be brave. We want to be brave, but, but I don't think bravery comes just naturally where, where everyone has the same amount of bravery and we just have it and it just happens. I, we have to work at being brave people. So that's what this series is about, is learning how to be brave. Last week we talked about digging ditches and you need to go watch that and learn where we're at, but we've been doing this through the story the life of a guy named Elisha. Elisha lived a, a long time ago, but he has some crazy brave stories that we're learning from. So if you like storytelling, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> uh, but we, everyone is doing this, by the way. The fellows at RCMU, Rapid, the, their, their Rapid City Minimum Unit, they, they gather together, same sermon, same everything, which by the way, everything's awesome at the prison. And if you don't know this, we're gonna launch, hopefully launch, cross your fingers, launch, uh, another location at the jail this year. And we're hopefully gonna launch another location at the Juvenile Services Center this year. Uh, for those of you who don't go to church very often, you, you haven't heard that, but, but listen. We have got to help people be brave, because if you read your Bible, do you know what your Bible has throughout your whole Bible? Fear not, fear not, fear not. God's saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. If I can translate that for you, he's saying, be brave. Be brave people. If you wanna know what God wants you to do and who he wants you to be, one of the things is that he wants you to be brave. And so I want to tell you a story. So if you like to, if you brought your Bibles, you've like, looked on your phones, you can do this. Go to 2 Kings chapter four. Now, now, some of you are like, no, you can put it on the screens and I will put it on the screens. But let me give you context. I'm about to tell you a story out of 2 Kings four that involves some major characters. One is Elisha. He's a prophet. You may not know what a prophet is. A prophet is someone that God would tell information to and then that prophet, that person is supposed to go and tell everybody else. Sometimes it was good news, sometimes it was bad news. If a famine was coming, he would tell the prophet and the prophet would go tell the king and and it was risky news, but but the prophet would say what God was saying. So the prophet was often listened to pretty well. This prophet Elisha, that's, that's his name, oftentimes people when they were in bad situations would go to Elisha, that's where our story comes in. See the story I'm gonna tell you is about Elisha the prophet and a woman that we know as a widow. And we'll see them interact, and I think if you listen up, we'll all have some tools on how to be brave. So let me show you this. This is in chapter four, verse one. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets, by the way, don't take that literally. There is not like a company in a business that just produces prophets. That's how they talked about the gathering of a prophet. So they cried out to Elisha. She's got a problem. She said, My husband is dead. You know how much respect he had for the Lord. In other words, you know how much he loved God and followed God, but he owed money to someone. And now that person is coming to take my two boys away, they will become his slaves. Now, that seems extreme and weird. Now, I'm gonna point out something that you need to grab a hold of through this whole story. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some bedtime story that we tell our kids in order so they do good things and make good choices. This is a real historical moment that has been proven. It is factual. So there really was Elisha. There really was this widow, and she's got a major issue. She goes to Elisha and says, they're about to come take my boys. Here's the deal. She owes money. You saw that. Now, I don't know if you've ever had creditors call you up, send you letters. If you've ever had that experience, uh, they're, well, let's just say persistent. (laughs) That They will try to get at you and lie to you, oftentimes trying to grab a hold of what you owe. When you owe money and you can't pay that money, you know the stress level. I think about everyone I've ever met has encountered a moment where they owed somebody some money. She's at a point that not only does she owe money, but her husband has passed away. Now, Many of us, We don't know what that feels like. We don't know what it feels like to to have this whole dream of your life that you're you're gonna live that life with this significant someone. You love them so much, but then the plans don't play out and you lose them. That's what's happened to her. She already has a moment in her life that is so full of grief that many of us almost don't even connect to that. So not only has she lost her husband, but she's in debt and she can't pay that debt, and so much so now that the creditors have come and knocking on the door saying, hello, and they're gonna come take her sons. Now, that's where in South Dakota, you, you go get the shotgun and you answer the door. Because some of us are like, well, okay, I don't understand this. They're coming to take like, her kids. Like, come on, David, Like you can't do that. That's, that's against the law, not in these times. So let me explain this because some of you may not know this. Some of you might be thinking, well, why didn't she just, if she can't pay the bill and the creditors are coming, last resort, dire moments, why didn't she just declare bankruptcy? Well, in the law at that time, in the law at that time, that was not allowed, that was not an option, that was not on the books. You cannot just simply say, "Uh, I'm gonna file for bankruptcy and go through that process. No, here's the rules when you owe debt. One, you could pay it back literally. You're like, well, of course, right? right. (laughs) You borrow money, you can uh, pay that money back. If you can't, you had to work it off. And not just work it off like, hey, eight to five, you became slave to the person you borrowed money from. Slave, like as in, hey, Wash my floor, do whatever I want you to do. And this would have to happen for up to seven years. This wasn't like, oh, that's fine, go work for a week, it's not bad. No, up to seven years. So when this woman goes to Elisha, and she has those horrible moments going, I've lost my husband, and, and that was bad enough, and we owe all this money, and we can't pay it back, and now they're coming to take my boys. And she was being very literal, saying, I'm going to lose more of my family. You may not have those same details in your life. But I think all of us can resonate with the idea that if someone came to your home and said, I'm taking your family to pay the debt that you owe, you would find yourself in a crisis that would be somewhat overwhelming. This is real. This is absolutely super real. And she's in a moment of major crisis. So let me just slide something over to your side of the table for a moment. What do you typically do when you face crisis? when you have a major problem. I'm not talking about, oh no, it's zero degrees. I'm talking about when it's a major issue. I'm talking about when you aren't sure exactly how to brave the situation. What do you typically do when you get horrible news? What's your gut reaction, your crisis reaction? I want you putting yourself in that kind of a story. And so she goes, the only place she knows to go She goes to Elisha, so Elisha responds to her. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? At first, he seemed like, why do you wanna know what's in my house? That's a weird question at first, I'll explain this. what do you have in your house? Her answer, I don't have anything there at all. All I have is a little olive oil. Now, I'm a black and white thinker, (laughs) so I'm like, she just contradicted herself. I mean, because literally, she says, I don't have anything at all, Elisha. You want to know what's in my house? Nothing, except uh, some oil. Now, now, because it's my job and I love to do it, I nerded out a little bit on the information, and you're to get into the, the deep trenches of, of all of the information. She would have had something similar to this size of a bottle, a container of oil, now, here's the reason she would have had this. She heard that, that her husband was from the company of prophets. In other words, her husband, as a part of his job, his life, would be to anoint people. If you're familiar with church, very often you know that, that in the Bible talks about anointing someone with oil. She would have had a, a container such as this. I have this in my office. This is anointing oil. And this is what she's talking about. She's like, I got nothing in my house. I got nothing in my house at all. Nothing. Well, okay, all right. I, I, have, I have this. See, in other words, she's got this crisis and this problem, and she's losing a bit of a touch with reality. Have you ever had that happen? Don't nod your head, don't raise your hand, and don't nudge anybody. Oftentimes when you get a crisis, a problem, an issue, some of us, again, do not nudge anyone, just look directly at me. Uh, You have someone in your house, sometimes it's you, who loses their mind. You're like, yeah, it's my kids. But when you have bad news, bad issue, this breaks, you gotta spend money on that. They said this, they did that, you lose your job, you hear bad news. And some of us, we lose grips with reality. And so this is why we learned something very important here. Our crisis can distort our reality. I'm not saying this has happened in your house, but there's at times that Kate and I will talk about a problem going on in our life, and one of us, will distort reality a bit, maybe say an overgeneralizing statement, the you always do, this, you never do that, or this never happens always. You know those big, gaping, generalized statements where you begin to overreact, not that this has ever happened in your house. I know none of you relate to anything that I'm telling you right now. But in our house, sometimes we, uh, we let the crisis, the problem, distort our reality, and we begin to make up stuff, like this could happen, that could happen, they could say this, and this might unfold this way, and we begin to lose grip. Now, now I knew that no one would, would identify with what I'm saying. I knew that all of you would be like, yeah, David, we, we pretty much just, we're just smooth and straight right here. We, we never have a problem, and every time we do, we deal with it perfectly. I know, I know, I know. know. So, so I, gotta, I had to gather an example. I, I want to show you an example. If you ever enjoy just about 30 minutes on YouTube, you can, you can find a lot of meltdowns. Um, so I thought, you know what, that's help us as a whole church understand what a meltdown looks like. What it looks like when you and I have a problem, an issue, whether it's big or small, and we, well, we just lose grip with reality. So let me give you context before you see what you're about to see. It's a woman that's in a restaurant. It appears as though she's ordered some food to go. She shows up. She goes to the front. However, her order, she learns, now don't, don't cry for her yet, was not exactly the way that she ordered it. I know. I know, you're like, oh no. <laughs> you see, she went to this restaurant that you could order kebabs. We know what kebabs are, right? It's all veggies and meat and everything on a stick. It's awesome, it's what we do typically during the summer. Well, they had a restaurant that she could order that, she ordered it, and she was very specific about one of the things is she, she ordered, she like, there's some meat and, 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 and some red peppers on there. Well, you won't believe what I'm about to tell you. She got there and she opened it up there at the counter. They weren't red peppers, they were green peppers. I know, I know, you need a second. (laughs) Can you believe this? I mean, you show up, you you pay good money, and all of a sudden you find out that they're not red peppers, they're green peppers. I don't know what you would have done in that crisis. But someone in the restaurant was filming her. (laughs) And so, for our enjoyment or not enjoyment, let's watch a very borderline offensive video of a woman losing grip with reality. Take a look. You got it wrong. You know what? Like, I'm, I'm
1: really glad you two can talk to each other in whatever language it is that you're speaking, but it's really rude. And if you wanna be polite to the customer, okay?
0: If you wanna, if you wanna, you
1: want to be polite to the customer, then you speak English to the customer in America. Okay? My kids don't eat green things. They eat red peppers. Calm down. You calm down. down. Usually we make with green pepper. Okay. Usually you make with green pepper. I ordered it with red pepper. What are you going to do about it? If you like it, you can make it. Okay. Well, how long is it going to take? Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. I don't have fifteen minutes for you not to know English, not to get it right the first time. You get it right the first time. Customer is always right. That's how it works here, and I don't have time for this. I don't have time for 15 minutes of you two being rude, talking about whatever it is you're talking about, in whatever language it is that you're speaking. Okay? This is America, and you get it right the first time. You get it right the first time. Get it right the first time. (laughs)
0: Okay? <laughs> See, some of you are now like, is karma real? No, karma is not real. It's not real. <laughs> but you enjoyed that last part. I mean, that's, honestly, that's, that's pretty offensive. In fact, most of us, I think, would at least like to think that we would have stood up and said something. I mean, you don't say those kinds of things to anyone, and we look at that and be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe someone would ever do that. And frankly, if you work in the food business or the retail business, you're like, oh, I've seen worse, right? You've, some of you, you've been cussed out and heard words you'd never even heard of before until that moment. I mean, many of us know, we've seen that we've witnessed people lose grip with reality because of their problem. And, and, and let's get real serious. And there's bigger issues, right, than red peppers and green peppers and... There's the deeper issues that you and I need to be brave in, but they oftentimes cause us to lose grip with reality. When you get news that you did not expect, when you've got a relationship on the verge of collapsing, when you need to say something that you're not sure you can say it, and you begin to lose grip with reality, begin to make stuff up going, they could say this, this could happen, and you begin to, well, separate yourself from reality. And if you wanna be brave, I'm not talking about if you don't, if you don't care about life, I, I don't know that we can help you right now, but if you care about life, if you wanna be a brave person, if you wanna live life in such a way that the storms don't knock you out, then let me help you with a question. I really believe that when you encounter crisis, a question becomes pivotal. See, if you ask the right questions in the midst of crisis, you can make sure that the ship stays in the direction it's supposed to go. So here's the question when you encounter a crisis? What do you believe God can do? That's a question that no matter what your problem is that you face, big and small, and I sure hope it's bigger than food like that and this, but I hope it's a deeper issue, but when you're facing something that is gonna require you to be brave, when you're saying, I don't know how to do this, I don't like to do this, you know those excuses where it's not my personality to say this or do that. When you get news and you're not sure how to wrestle it down, when you're as a, a business owner trying to make the right choice or, or which school you're gonna go to, All those big, brave decisions. If you want to make the brave decisions and you're not sure how it's going to play out, you will ask. You will wrap that crisis, that problem in the question, what can God do? No, no, no. Listen, it's important to you. Not what will God do? Because you and I don't know everything God's going to do. So it's not what will God do, but it's what God can do. That question leads you into a trajectory for bravery. Here's why. Our bravery should rely on God's capacity. Our bravery, that, that, the desire that you want to be able to, where you can weather what needs to be weathered, our bravery needs to rely on God's capacity, not your capacity, not what you can do or can't do, or, or what the people around you can or can't do. It relies on God. If you wanna be brave, you're gonna wrestle this to the ground. That's why we have this conversation now. Some of us, we've been trying to be brave based on what we know we can do, what we can predict. Our bravery should rely completely on God's capacity. So let me just press it over, just I'm gonna pause the sermon here. In the midst of your crisis and your problem and your unresolved whatever, whatever you need bravery, have you been relying on yourself or have you put God into the picture we're saying, you know what, I, here's what God can do. Here's God's capacity. See, I'm talking about expectations. What do you expect of God? What do you expect God can do? It'll impact, it'll impact your bravery, it'll impact your situation. So the story begins to unfold even more. So Elisha's gonna give her instructions. So I'm gonna read this to you, but I need to preface this for a moment. See, some of you are thinking in your head, I don't know what your exposure is to church. You're like, wait a minute. This widow goes to Elisha, the man of God, the representative of, of the church as you and I would know it. Why doesn't he just say, oh, what's your debt? Oh, your debt, hold, hold on one second. Writes the check, Shh. who's this to? Okay, Sally Mae, yep, I understand. <laughs> and give her a check. I mean, that's what some of us would anticipate and expect to do. That's what's supposed to happen. She goes, she's a widow, she's got a rough life and she's gonna lose her boys. She should go to Elisha and Elisha say, hey, no big deal, let me write you a check. No, Elisha wants to teach her bravery. Elisha wants her to lean on God and oftentimes the church is a part of that equation but it's powerful for you and I to understand that many of us just want, well, let's just say to win the Powerball See, some of you were honestly praying for that, and I'm not faulting you on that at all. But see, some of us want the miracle, listen, without the bravery. And God's like, I I, I want you to trust me. If you study the miracles of Jesus, he most often would say you're healed, and you're healed because of your faith, in other words, your bravery. So, Elisha engages the widow this way. Watch how this reads. Elisha said, go around to all of your neighbors. (laughs) See, in South Dakota, we're like, oh no. See, in South Dakota, we don't tell other people our problems, right? We're we're South Dakotans. We're people of the West. We're like, no, we fix our problems. We value that. And and so I love it how Elisha presses in. Is like, okay, you got a problem. It's a big deal. You're about to lose your family. It's all breaking down. Okay, uh, go to all of your neighbors, like not just your next door neighbor, (laughs) Go to all of your neighbors, ask them for empty jars. Can you imagine that conversation? That's weird. Hey, can I have some some jars? (laughs) Get as many as you can. I love how detailed he is. Like, go to all of your neighbors. Ask for as many jars as you possibly can gather. I mean, in her mind, she's probably like, 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 do you want the the jars empty? Do you want me to ask them to put like some food in there? What do you want? Get as many as you can, then go inside your house, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars. As each jar is filled, put it over to one side.
1: Hmm.
0: I mean, clue in on this phrase. I don't want you ever to forget this phrase. Get as many as you can. See, a lot of times we read the Bible, we hear the story, like, okay, that's neat. No. Remember, First question of the story. Hey, what do you have in your house? I got nothing. I don't have anything at all in my house except for this. I am talking to a man of God. You all know it. I'm lying. Okay, okay, I got it. I got this jar. So, so here's the instructions. Follow the story. So she's like, okay, all I've got is this. So Elisha says, oh, I know what you need to do. Go to all of your neighbors. Tell them your problem. Have them get involved in your problem. And then when you gather up, put it in your house, shut the doors, get everyone there huddled, just you and your family together, and take what you've got, take what you've got, and start filling up all the jars. That's when she should be at least thinking in her head, going, did he miss what I told him at the beginning? I mean, can you imagine the scenario? She's in her house, doors closed, family's there. The whole place is full of jars. I mean, it's kind of weird. whole place is full of jars, and she's got this, and she's walking around going, this is gonna be awkward. When I empty this thing into the first jar that I pour it into. I mean, can you imagine that intense kind of a thing? Because it's, it's pressing into our expectations. Put yourself in the story. You go, you have a major issue. You have something that is breaking down in your whole life. You're gonna lose your family, and you come to me. David, I need to schedule an appointment with you. All right, let's come on in. We talk, and, and you're like, I'm gonna lose my whole family. Oh, no problem. What you got in your house? Uh, nothing? Okay, cool. I want you to go to all of your neighbors and ask them for some jars. See, then you would be like, all right, we're leaving the church. See ya. And, and it'd be kind of weird, but no, then you would have done it. Maybe you would have said, you know, we're so desperate, we're gonna listen to this weird thing that the prophet asked. So you gather up, and then you got everyone there, and you've got this moment. It's, it's this faith moment, this brave moment. See, she's desperate enough to trust God, are you? She's in this moment See, her expectations are getting challenged. And I would tell you what you expect will impact what you do. What you expect God can do will impact what you actually do. Let me, let me help you understand this a little bit more. Growing up as a kid, my, my dad was a pastor. He was my pastor. I'm the guy, listen to this, when the sermon got done and we went and had dinner or lunch, he would ask how was the sermon. I'm like, oh no, I didn't pay attention. And so that was our life. But, but, but one of the fun things as a pastor's kid is you know when we went to the church and we got to play around the whole building and do a bunch of stuff and we often go to his office and in his office, for as long as I've ever known my dad as a pastor, he's the best pastor I've ever known, and, and in his office every time was a sign. The, the sign simply said, expect miracles. I mean, as a kid I thought that's pretty cool. I'm going to expect miracles, of course. I'm learning all the stories at the time of of, of David killing Goliath and these big things where where God split the sea. Like, yeah, God does miracles. God is strong. God is awesome. And then I grew up and became an adult, <laughs> and life began to try to trick me to think, you know what? I don't know what I can expect of God. I think most of us as adults would lock on to that fact that perhaps our expectations now as adults are not the same expectations they were as a kid. Well, let me tell you something about God. He hasn't changed. What do you expect of God? You want to be brave? You want to be brave in life? Then you've got to lean on the capacity of God. And so that pulls into question, what do you expect God can do? So this story is so profound, but as I'm about to read to you something, I've gotta give you another disclaimer. I'm about to read to you the verse, if you've heard me preach enough, you know that I'm about to read to you a story, and there's a reason to the story, and in fact, I'm about to read to you a miracle that's gonna happen. I'm gonna read to you a miracle, and then there's gonna be many many who might tune me up and say, oh yeah, yeah, I would've been brave if if that had happened to me, right? But don't miss the story, don't twist the story. She didn't know it was gonna happen. I'm gonna say that again, she didn't know it was gonna happen. But she trusted and was brave. So as I'm about to read to you what I'm gonna read to you, know that she has no idea about what's gonna play out. She's just listening to instructions. Here's how the story plays out. The woman left them. After that, she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and and she kept pouring. A lot of times we read the Bible too fast. I'm just gonna pause. And she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, when all the jars were full, she spoke to one of her sons. And she said, bring me another jar. Now, don't dare miss this. If you remember the beginning of the story, Elisha says, what do you have? I got nothing. In other words, my problem is bigger than anything I got. I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing, not a nothing. There's nothing worth anything, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, I, got a, I got a little thing of oil. And do not think it's a coincidence that Elisha says, all right. God will use that. So picture the situation. They're all gathered up in the house, right? And she starts to pour. At first feeling stupid. And then she watches this and there's a bit of a weird thing occur. She's pouring into the jar and the jar is getting full. I mean that's when you're like, And then the jar gets full, and she's like, "Oh, oh no!" Hey, son, uh, I need, I need another jar. And he's like, "You need what? Need another jar? Need another? Just bring, bring the jar over." <laughs> and so that she doesn't, so she doesn't lose a drop. Quick, she just keeps pouring. And she keeps pouring this stupid little jar of oil. Keeps producing oil. And then she's like, bring another one. Then the boys probably really get into this. Like, hey, here's another one. Here's another one. And they're, they're, they're all looking around like, "Hey, put some in my hands. I don't know. They're, they're just gathering everything they possibly can. And, and then they fill every single jar. I mean, that's when the boys are like, this is amazing. She's amazing. They're like, this, this, is, this is God. God. And it leads us, listen, it leads us to a profound moment about bravery. You can't control God, but you can control what you give God. Now, some of you are like, he's going to talk about money. No, I'm not. You can't control a friend, but you can give that friend to God. You can't control everything that will happen in a conversation, but you can give that conversation to God and say, I have no idea how they're gonna listen to me and how this intervention is gonna go, but I can give it to God. Maybe it is financial for you. You don't know how you're gonna pay your bills or how this is gonna happen. Have you ever considered doing it God's way and giving your money to God and saying, God, I don't know how to do this, but, but, but your capacity is greater than my capacity, so I'm gonna give this to you. Maybe it's your marriage, your kids, your work, your school, the unknown, the disease. You can't control God, but you can control what you give God. Can you imagine this moment in their house? Doors are closed, but they're screaming. I mean, when they got this whole house full of jars of oil, like, this is amazing. I mean, the boys are like, this is for sure going to be in the Bible. This is going to make the Bible. (laughs) This is going in that big giant scroll. I mean, this is that epic, right? This is so awesome. And this, can you imagine what Elisha's thinking? I sure hope like, that oil kept going because she's gonna be so mad at me <laughs> if nothing happened. And then how about the neighbors? How about the neighbors who, who lent the jars? you are like, I have no idea why we lent jars. She better give those jars back. But don't miss this. Don't miss all that happened inside of this miracle. One, that the church, the man of God didn't just cut a check and say, well, here you go. He's like, no, no, you need to be brave, and then God will do a miracle. A lot of times, we're missing the miracle in our life because we lack the bravery. We wanna trust God after God does what we ask him. And God's like, I wanna do the miracle after You show me you believe in me, and you trust me, and you're willing to be brave. Don't miss some of the cool stuff in this story where, where she had to involve people. Do you know that's what church is about? Church is not just like where you come and sit in a seat and hope no one really sees you and you can kind of just get out whenever you want to. And and church is about community, about people, about support systems. And so I love how he's like, hey, hey, you got a problem, great. I'm going to have to involve some people. You're going to need to involve some people. And they had to give jars. And there's this whole collective thing of, of God doing miracles, God bringing in lots of people, this community, this family, Saying, I'm going to do an incredible miracle that will make the Bible and will change the lives of many people. And it is very real, but it's got to involve people. Together we can do more than just one person. So I wanted to put some things in this story that that help us walk this out. Because you're going to need people in your life to be brave. And some of that people, you're going to need friends, people maybe you don't even know, but you're going to need your church you definitely need God. So let me show you some things that have been happening in the midst of this community. Here's the first one, 9,529. You're like, what's that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 9,529, that's how many hours in one week, in one week, that this last love week, we as a collective church, that's how many hours of work we put in in one single week to save you the time and the math problems and feeling, well, like you can't do math very well. Uh, This 9529, that is more hours than one person can produce in a year's time by themselves, working all the time, every day, all year long. As one, you cannot do what you can do with others. I think we all agree to this. Let me show you another one, $247,000. That's what we were able to invest as a church, together into local and global outreaches. Now, now, I've never seen that number in, in my checking account. I can't do this by myself. Most of us probably can't do this by ourselves. But together, when we collectively get together and say God needs to do something, God does something. Let me show you another number, 135. <laughs> That's how many cars we fixed as a church last year. One hundred and thirty-five. Now, now it probably would have been higher, but I think I contributed in the negative way to this. Uh, I mean, I'd never worked on a car. Uh, well, I did one time. I've never since then worked on a car. I should never work on a car. should never do anything with a vehicle re- repair. And so I can prove to you that I can't fix 135 cars. I can't do a miracle for 135 people. But as a church together, we can. Last number. 828, 828 people decided to follow Jesus for the very first time last year through this church. Now, I can tell you about my personal life. I think I've maybe sat across the table, had coffee with or just a basic conversation with about 10 people in my lifetime where they decided, David, I wanna, I wanna follow Jesus, give my life to Jesus. And I've about, had about 10 of those conversations. I've not had 828, and I definitely have not had 828 in one year. And this church believes strongly that it's a miracle when you turn your life over to God and say, I'm gonna trust in you, lean on you, I need you. You see, you need people. I know it's not the South Dakota way to involve other people in your problems, but perhaps that's where your miracle is waiting for you. Let me finish the story for you. Second Kings chapter four. The last part is six and seven. She's calling for more jars. But he replied, there aren't any left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God about it. He said, go and sell the oil. Pay what you owe. You and your sons can live on what is left. It's a miracle. That is a miracle of God. So let me press into your life. I had to warn you about that. Some of you are like, you're tuning out now. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, I would have bravery if, if that happened to me, but, but she didn't know. See, what miracle are you praying for in your life? That's what this conversation is about. Well, last we talk about digging ditches and focusing on the right thing, but now it's like, what do you believe the capacity of God is for you in your situation, your crisis, your problem? What do you believe God can do? That's what I want you to lock in this evening. Where you, you lock in that conversation with God. Do you believe God can do anything that he wants to do? Do you believe that God is not limited by any power or anything? Do you believe that? When you lock that in, you make a step towards bravery. And I want you to be brave. More importantly, God wants you to be brave.